Good morning again. You know, I can't, uh, I can't help but note this morning, as Ryan did, that, hey, the world did not end last night at 6 o'clock, as that guy predicted. Are you surprised? Okay. Are you, uh, are you relieved or disappointed? See, now there's, there's a discussion question where you can get at some stuff. If you want to ask that around the dinner table sometime later today. But this morning, I'm curious, I'm curious, how many of you, how many of you, of you by a show of hands, heard about that last week, at least sometime, that Jesus was coming on Saturday to judge the world? Oh my goodness, look around you. If you didn't get a chance, everything, I think every hand was up in the room. Wow, that news really got around, didn't it? And... Um, you know, I went, in, I went in for a haircut on Friday, and um, the whole salon was packed full, and I've been going there for some time, so they know me. So as soon as I came in uh, on Friday, someone looked up, saw me, and they shouted out, Hey, look, the pastor's getting his haircut to be ready for Jesus. <laughs> they like to mess with me there. So I, um, so I said right back to him, I said, Oh, I said, I'm ready, but the real question is, are all of you? Because I like to mess with them too. It, it's only fair, right? Well, Jesus has not yet returned, but you know what? One day he will. Amen? And you know, one good thing for me, maybe for you too if you think about it, I don't know, but one good thing for me at least that came out of all of this last week is that Jesus coming back was on my mind. You know? It was on my conscious mind. Now, I didn't think that May 21 was necessarily the date. The Bible says that even Jesus himself doesn't know the day or hour. No one but God the Father knows. I, I suppose, as I was thinking about it last week, there was an outside chance that God told that guy it would be May 21. But guess not. So, so I didn't think May 21 was necessarily the date, but it could have been. Just like five minutes from now, or later today, or tomorrow could be the time. And, and I liked thinking all last week, what if Jesus is coming on Saturday? And I've been thinking, you know, maybe I, maybe I should more than I do. You know, have a daily conscious thought that today might be that day that Jesus returns. Maybe, maybe such a daily focus of that would, would help encourage me to live that day and each day in love and obedience to God and in love of others. So I'm glad. I'm glad that it was on my mind like that. You know, even if that pastor and the media turned it into sort of a circus. I mean, you may have heard he raised, I think I heard, $74 million and put all these billboards up. And uh, so it became kind of a circus, and, and people ridiculed it and mocked it a bit. You know, I, uh, someone after the service this morning came up and showed me a picture on their phone. Apparently, someone put a billboard up today. And I don't know, John, was she able to email that to you so we could have it on screen? This is what was seen today. 
you read that? That was awkward. No one knows the day or the hour, but um, you know, I am. But but I am. I am grateful. I, I'm grateful that it was on my mind. And you know, I think it's a helpful reminder for for us to live each day as if it's our last. And that no matter when Jesus comes again, no matter when it is, it will feel sudden and unexpected, the Bible tells us. And so we're to keep living, keep loving as best we can, so help us God until he really does come again. Amen? Amen. It's good, I think, to wake up each morning and ask, ah, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus will return today. We've been, um, we've been looking at the essentials of the Christian faith, and one essential certainly is that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, the Bible tells us that he will judge the nations, including each person who has ever lived. And the Bible tells us that those in Christ will be saved because, as we discussed last week, Jesus, the Bible says, is the only way to God and to God's salvation. So all in Christ will be saved, and all not in Christ, their destiny is hell. And that much, in my opinion, is essential to the Christian faith. Jesus is coming again, and all those in Christ will be saved, and all those not in in Christ will experience hell. And on that, Christians can and should agree. Beyond that, and very quickly beyond that, as we ask questions about, well, just how exactly is that going to work? Particularly questions like, uh, what about the end times and the millennium and how that all times out and what exactly is going on there? You know, we quickly get beyond the essentials of the faith and into things that we can agree to disagree on beyond this statement. Things like, too, that last part about hell. What's it like, and how is that all going to come about? Do we very quickly get to areas of discussion that, in my opinion, are not essential to the Christian faith and are things we can agree to disagree over with other brothers and sisters in Christ? One example that's been on my mind recently of of just such a non-essential-to-the-faith question, in my opinion, is this one. It's one that's been asked in different forms throughout the history of the church. Some Christians have asked questions like, how many people will be in heaven? Or how many people will be in hell? Or another way to ask this question in light of Jesus being the only way, how many people will choose Jesus or be found in Christ and therefore be saved? Have you ever wondered about that? I don't believe the answer is essential to the Christian faith, but, but I've wondered about that. Have you? And some, some have even wondered, will everyone ultimately choose Jesus or be found in Christ and be saved? 
Have you ever wondered about that? On that question, will everyone be saved? The church's usual position throughout history has been that while some or even many will be saved, some will not. The church took this position not because it didn't want to see everyone saved, but because it believed there are clear statements in Scripture that some will be lost. The idea that all will be saved, theologians and scholars call universalism. It has many variations, but foundationally, it holds that everyone will ultimately be saved in Christ. This issue has been around the church for a long time. It comes and goes, and it comes and goes, and it comes and goes as the hot topic But it's been there throughout the history of the church. Its origin, oddly enough, is origin, as best we know. George remembers origin, the church father. As many of you know, there was a man whose name was origin. He is regarded and respected as one of the early church fathers. He lived way back in the 200s A.D., He is and remains one of the most distinguished writers and thinkers in church history, and Origen was probably the first universalist. Origen reasoned that the punishment of the wicked of which the Bible speaks will not be some form of eternal external suffering inflicted on them by God, but rather a temporary internal anguish caused by their sense of separation from God. Origen was dealing with a bit the questions of the nature of hell. But he also suggested, as a corollary to that, that the punishment of the wicked will at some point come to an end, and all things, including all people, will finally be restored to their original perfect condition. Everyone in time, origin supposed, ends up being saved. Universalism is a hot topic right now among many Christians. It's certainly why it's been on my mind these past few weeks. Rob Bell's new book called Love Wins has rekindled this very old debate. No one can seem to figure out whether Bell is in fact advocating universalism. I'm not sure even Bell knows if he is. But whether he is or isn't, his book has certainly rekindled discussion among many in the church over the question, will everyone be saved? I read Bell's book this past week, and I can't figure out either how he'd answer that question for sure, will everyone be saved? He seems to lean strongly yes, but doesn't ever quite come out and say yes. So I don't know how he would answer the question, will everyone be saved? I will say, having studied Origen years ago, I felt I was on very original ground reading Love Wins. You get it? Original like the name? That's the best joke I got all morning, so I'm sorry. Again, 
I want to stress that when asking questions like, what's the population of hell or its extreme form, will everyone be saved? We are, in my opinion, beyond the essentials of the Christian faith, including the one I led with this morning. That is, Jesus is coming again, and all those in Christ will be saved, and all those not in Christ will be in hell. I'm fairly certain that Bell would agree with the truth of that foundational statement. He might say that the last part will, or at least might be moot, because there won't be anyone that doesn't ultimately choose Christ, but I don't have reason yet to believe, at least, that he would dispute the truth of that statement. So in that, at least, I think we have common ground. I don't happen to believe, personally, that everyone will be saved. I just can't ignore or interpret away all the Scripture that seems to contradict universalism. In Matthew 25, for example, Jesus is telling his disciples about the last judgment. And he tells them that after he separates the sheep from the goats, Jesus tells them what he's going to say to the goats, to those who don't know him because of their refusal to love others. Here's what he says. He says, disciples, this is what the Son of Man says. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then Jesus says, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And then in John 5, Jesus says, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, the Son of Man, and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Back in Matthew again, Jesus also says that some will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And similar passages appear frequently in the New Testament. Universalists suggest that all such passages are hypothetical, that no one will actually be standing there in that goat-like predicament, but passages like the examples I just gave, at least, for me on their face plainly declare that people will be actually lost. And I just can't easily dismiss all those references as hypothetical as much as I'd like to. The more I study them, the more I believe in context. They're just not written hypothetically, in my opinion. And to be fair, universalism has its list of supporting scriptures as well. For example, Paul says in 1 Timothy, that God is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. In Romans 11, Paul tells us that God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. 
Back again in Romans, Paul tells us that Jesus' sacrifice was justification that brings life for all men. Back again in 1 Timothy, we're told that God wants all people to be saved. And the reasoning goes, God will get what he wants because he's God. And there are other similar passages. Critics of universalism explain these scriptures as being only about the opportunity for all to choose Christ rather than describing a reality where all will choose him. And in the end, brothers and sisters in Christ, different denominations, different churches, different individuals, you know, you decide which interpretation of those passages best reconciles them with Scripture as a whole, as Scripture informs Scripture. And like I've said, uh, while I find universalism personally less than convincing, I don't and I won't condemn those who come out the other way on this question. Nor do I think differing opinions here is a reason to break fellowship with a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Something it seems to me believers are just a little too ready, too eager to do. Brand someone a false teacher or heretic, even on things that are not essential to the faith. As I've said, I feel like we can agree to disagree over this question. Beyond the essential on the screen, that Jesus is coming again and, and all who choose Jesus or are found in Christ will be saved and all who do not or are not will be in hell. Beyond that essential, I think we can agree to disagree on the actual population of heaven and hell. We can just leave that one to God since He's the one who decides and not us. And I think we can agree to disagree over universalism because regardless of its merits, whether everyone will or will not choose Jesus or be found in Christ on that last day, our mission as a people of God remains the same. Our mission, in a word, is love. Just love. Everyone. Our mission remains to be God's love to each and every person. To show them through our love that God is love and He wants a close relationship with them. So they indeed respond to Jesus' love and choose Him back. Even in a universalist's world, it may nevertheless still be our love or your love that God requires and uses to break through to people the good news of Jesus so they indeed respond to Him. So love. I'm not a universalist, but I respect their opinion on this non-essential. I sympathize and I empathize with their opinion. In fact, I hope they're right, actually. At heart, universalism wants to emphasize and hold high the great love that God has and is. And I'm not going to condemn them for that. I'm glad their opinion is and has been around in the church throughout her history 
at least to remind us of how important it is that God is love and we're to be his love. And a charge of false teaching or heresy is much too harsh, in my opinion. Regardless of the final population census of heaven or hell, our task is to keep preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, keep feeding the hungry, keep being a friend to the friendless or the lonely. We still want to bring people to faith in Christ, and our mission remains to do everything we can to help them find God through Jesus Christ our Lord and then leave things like judgment to God. And why do we so passionately pursue people with the love of God? Well, you know the answer, because God loves people and wants a relationship with them desperately. I mean, how much does God love people? Literally, oh my God, how much He loves people. All of history is put in place. All of what we know is life. The universe is created to all point to the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. It all led to him sacrificing his own son so that he could be with us in love forever and ever and ever. He aches for people. He sacrificed his own son for them. And so God asks us to be his pursuing relentless love to them so that they can know him. And we do it because Jesus is the only way to God and that relationship with him. And because Jesus is coming again to take his people home. And you know we do it because if universalism is wrong, and regardless of what anyone's opinion is on this, I disagree you can be absolutely certain either way on the population of hell, and so if universalism is wrong, we pursue people too with God's love, even as Jesus and his disciples did, even as the Apostle Paul and his disciples did, and many others. We do it because one way or another, hell is a reality, and we don't want people to experience hell. We don't want them separated from God. We want them rather as desperately as God wants them to experience the love of God in Christ Jesus together with God forever and ever and ever. So continue to love. Keep loving. Regardless of your or my or anyone else's opinion on the population of heaven or hell, keep loving. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Love your neighbors as yourselves. Let God use your love of him and others as the witness of him it was and is intended to be. And go ahead and laugh when he does this through you and through us as imperfect as we are. And when it's all said and almost done, let's let God worry about the rest. And you know what? Here's something to look forward to. Two, a reason to be disappointed that Jesus didn't come again last night. One of many reasons, but here's one reason at least. Picture on that last day, 
the day of judgment, and you're standing there, as will be everyone who has ever lived. Wow, that's a big group. Lots of coffee. But don't worry, the loaves and fishes rabbi will be there, so we're good. But anyway, you're standing there too. And then, because of the love you showed, someone comes next to stand before God and looks to God and says, I believe in Jesus. And then points to you and says, because he because she first showed him to me. And then we can say, I believe because my mom and dad showed me, or whoever it was who showed you. And the chain will keep going. Back to the disciples, back to Jesus, and ultimately back to God. Who's right there sitting on the throne together with the Lamb? Because, my brothers and sisters, God ultimately started His children off on the way they should go. And even when they were old, they didn't turn from it. My brothers and sisters, we get to be a part of the amazing chain of God's love throughout history. And because of the love you show, someone may be saved because they learned about God's love by experiencing it through you. And oh, may that be so. And may it be said of us that we love people into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are so many issues that threaten to divide us. And no wonder, in dividing the body of Christ, the devil mutes the witness of our love, mutes our witness of the fact that you are love. Father, help us. Help us to love you with all of who we are and to love others as ourselves. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Oh, Father, help us to be the light and the love of God that enables others to see that you are indeed love so that they too may one day wholeheartedly join in the chorus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Father, I ask this in the name of Jesus, your Son, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction, His good words, His blessing? 
If you turn and face me, if you would, and face one another in the community, today's words come from the Apostle Paul in Romans 10. And I'd love for you to feel the urgency in which I think that Paul writes them to that early church and to us too. He says, And then, how can they believe in the... Sorry. And then, how can they call on the one they don't believe in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without anyone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach who has not been sent? Oh, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Oh, my brothers and sisters at West Bowles, I hope, my hope for us is that we have beautiful feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. See you next week at 10 o'clock for service.